Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Last Night's Scandal by Loretta Chase. So this was published in 2010 and is the fifth book in the Carsington Family series. Fifth and final, Meg. I'm really sad. I'm wiping away a tear because we have to say goodbye to the Carsingtons. I actually think, I was sort of thinking about this last night. This might be my favorite romance novel series ever. I agree. I so agree. It is so good. We'll still read this series. Like, I will still read it in a week. If I go to the beach, I'll be like, I'll read the Carsingtons, you know? This whole series that much. And it does end on a high note, dear listeners. It does. It does. All right, let's read the jacket. After surviving the perils of Egypt, Peregrine Dalmay, Earl of Lyle, is back in London, facing the most dire threat of all, his irrational family and Miss Olivia Wingate Carsington, a descendant of notorious but very aristocratic squindlers. The delectable redhead has the ability to completely unhinge him and a long history of dragging him into her scandalous schemes. Olivia may be society's darling, but she's aware a respectable future looms menacingly. And so when Lyle is forced to go on a family mission, she sees this as the perfect chance for one last adventure, even if it is with the one man in the world she can't wrap around her finger. But really, she only wants to help. Which is why Lyle and Olivia find themselves in a gloomy Scottish castle inhabited by spiteful ghosts and craven murderers and a shocking secret. The greatest peril of all may be burning within their own stubborn hearts. Honestly, this jacket is perfectly fine. I have no problems with this jacket. Fine. Um, Lyle isn't going on a family mission. That's a slight misrepresentation. But overall, it's accurate. It does not capture, like, the whimsy. Yeah, I and agree. This- Largely, honestly, Olivia's writing and to a lesser extent speaking style are just so distinctive and amazing. It's it's so it's so good. It's really well done. It's really fun. It ca- it captures her intelligence, but also her like love for the dramatic. You know. Yes, and I loved every single page of this book. That had Lyle or Olivia on it. Oh, 100% agree. Like, I have, like, giving away the offense in this section. Like, this is 10 pages being removed away from being a perfect book. (laughs) This book is really, really, really good. It's really good. I agree. Okay, so as usual, we generate a random number between 1 and 50 and write our own summaries. And this week, our random number was 41. So my 41-word summary, Lyle and Olivia are finally in the same place as adults. Sparksfly. She strikes up a scheme to prevent his parents from cutting him off, restoring a castle. Scottish shenanigans and illicit affairs can't take the place of Egypt, though. Oh, Oh, it's true. Oh, hinting at the conflict lane. I love it. And also, like, just stating a fact. It's true. It's also, like, <laughs> this is, like, totally Lane's, Lane's like, um, duh. <laughs> I related with Olivia in this book in my fantasy romance life. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So what was your summary, Meg? Okay. We all knew that Lyle and Olivia would get together. But with him in Egypt and her in England, when will it happen? Oh, when his awful parents make Lyle restore a castle in Scotland and Olivia inserts herself. That's when. Yes. One of the things I love the most about this book is his parents are horrifically overdramatic. Mm-hmm. And Lyle is very mean to Olivia when she comes up with his scheme to get him out of it. Mm-hmm. But her scheme is also very insane. And it is very rude of her to step all over him in the way she does. Like, I love that they're both wrong. But in I a love way that, that keeps yes. them both so likable. Yes. I love that they're both wrong. I love that she, and the other issue is that she doesn't explain anything to him either. No. She just, like, assumes he's following her train of thought. And then when he's not, is, like, very disappointed he's not the boy she remembers. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. The boy you remember still didn't follow your train of thought. He just was a little bit more malleable. <laughs> he was just a 14-year-old, not a 23-year-old. Mm-hmm. I also love, Do I? can I tell you how much I love this age difference? Like, I love that we have 21-year-old and 23-year-old. Of course they fall in love, you know? Well, and I love, too, of course they fall in lust. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the way they treat each other, like, if these were real adults sorry to insult any 21 year old listeners I think the way they treat each other even in this like changing dynamics of their friendship would have really frustrated me Mm -hmm. but this red is really authentic for like college age kids working out a massive change in their relationship yes that yes and that's the thing too is like sometimes something would frustrate me and I'm like well you know she's 21 years old you know like yeah of course that's what she does I loved it so much. Oh, and usually, you know, I have said before, one of my least favorite things about young heroines particular is being inside their head. Mm-hmm. Like, even a well-written book. I'm like, I didn't like myself at that age. How am I supposed mm-hmm. to like a heroine at this age? Olivia still kicks ass. She she's, is so great. She's so great. She's such a good character. One of the reasons I love this book is uh, is Olivia. One of the reasons, look, if you read romance, you have to love one of the characters if to love the book. I loved both of these characters, but I think, I mean, he's an archaeologist (laughs) aristocrat. Like, that was a given. She, as a petulant and dramatic 21-year-old, is easily a character I've hated in other books. Uh Uh-huh. And I loved her here. I loved her. Like, he was a given. Moving on. Yeah. So, as, as you probably could identify... The major trope here is childhood friends to lovers. Yes. You remember from Lord Perfect that like the entire conflict of that book is that they ran off together when she was 11 and he was 13 just to, you know, well, for a treasure hunt, not because they eloped together. (laughs) Mm hmm. So because of that, one of the tropes here, he hasn't been home in five years. Mm hmm. And the last time he was home, she still looked like a little girl. And so you have this trope of them running into each other for the first time, and they both are suddenly seeing the other's adult form. Uh, yeah. Which I love that trope of like, oh, I'm looking for my friend and I don't see them. Oh, it's the really hot person? Shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I love how they both play it off. I love, too, though, that there is no real... 
attempt for either of them to hide it. Mm-hmm. Like even in their own rationale, they're like, whatever. He grew up, he got hot. That doesn't change anything. It's yeah. not like they're like, I mean, yeah, he's good looking, but he's like my sister. Like there's none of that. No, they're never like, oh, he's my brother. Oh, she's my sister. They're both like, he he's hot, you know? And he's like, and wow, neither, he's really hot. And neither of us are real Carsingtons. <laughs> right? <laughs> we're honorary Carsingtons. But we're not related to each other. By marriage. We're both honorary Carsingtons by marriage from different branches of the family. Totally works out. Like, it doesn't even get questionable. Uh, we have some nice forced proximity. Some of the, so there's a little bit of a road trip romance, but not really. The proximity's not in the carriage, unfortunately. No, I, that's literally the words that were about to come out of my mouth is they're never in a carriage together. <laughs> he rides a horse the entire time. And she is in a carriage with two old lady chaperones the entire time. They like stop at inns and stuff and stuff happens, but not the kinds of things. There's never only one room. You know what I mean? I do like, know exactly. This what does not have the makings of a road trip romance. No, no. But it. But they are forced into proximity in the drafty old castle they are forced to restore, which, I'm sorry, drafty old Scottish castle? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, definitely a trope. Oh, definitely. So, um, yeah. I love this trope so, 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 so I was so like, you much. take this one on. So he sends her little trinkets when he's in Egypt because he knows that, and he writes in one of the first chapter letters, like it's very, very, very early in the book that he recognizes that she's, that she's responsible for the positive turn his life has taken, that he's in Egypt doing what he loves. And so he sends her like little mementos. And so he sends her a little scarab and she has it mounted onto a ring and she wears it all of the time. And that little gesture that, oh, well, this like meaningless thing, I keep a piece of you with me always. Such a trope. Like the oh, I'm just going to prove my love for you by showing you the things I've kept over the years and the thing yeah. I always have on my person. And he even thinks that she is a femme fatale scandal monger who's broken off 10 engagements. Like, he literally has the thought of every engagement she's accepted and broken off, she's been wearing my ring the whole time. Uh-huh. And it's just so, but, like, the fact that it's a ring she made herself makes it even better. <sighs> the everything about it, everything about it, yeah. Um, so they do experience a, a near-death experience, sort of. She does. He thinks she's dying. He's overreacting. Yeah. I was like, not really, but kind of. But, it, but I mean, he, which it does, look, it leads to one of my favorite tropes, which is the, you're so cold that you need to warm up in front of the fire by taking off all of your wet clothes and snug, like, we all know skin-to-skin contact is how you warm up the most. But he absolutely utters the line. I could have lost you. Like, he sees it as a near-death experience for her. Yeah, she doesn't. He's terrible parents. Terrible. Yeah. He's got terrible parents. She's Her parents are great, obviously, since, as you know, if you read Lord Perfect, her parents are great. And one of the things I love, both about Lord Perfect and about this book, actually love, is that um, her mother... Uh, Bathsheba. Gosh, I was like, how was like, what's her name? Oh yeah, how could I forget that name? Uh, so Bathsheba was madly in love with Olivia's father. Mm-hmm. Olivia's father died, and then Bathsheba fell in love later 
with Benedict. So she fell in love twice. She's had two great loves of her life. And mm. I don't know. It, basically, Olivia's home life has been wonderful because she's been surrounded by love. But yeah. not in like a cheesy way. No, and they don't coddle her. No. Like, oh, everyone no. calls her a holy terror to her face. Yeah. It's, it's great. Anyway, I love it. So part of the problem is that Benedict is told by his parents they want him to go check out what's going on at this old pile. And he's like, no, I'm going back to Egypt. And they're like, you disrespectful sod, we will cut you off. You yeah. know who finances these expeditions? We do. Like, you are going to do what we want. And so Olivia takes it upon herself to negotiate with his parents that they're going to go restore this castle together. And she tells him, I'll help you. We'll figure this out and we'll get you back to Egypt by spring. Mm -hmm. But what she doesn't tell him is she basically implied to the parents that she is going to seduce him into marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. Her intent is to get him back to Egypt. Yeah. But upon hearing that, he's like, God damn it. I've like almost had sex with you four times. And now you're telling me if I actually compromise you, it will make my parents happy. Yeah. Like, oh no. And it's just so good. It's, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Um, they do have, uh, they do engage in desk sex in this book. Elaine's like singing the hallelujah chorus back there. <laughs> I have a big glass of red wine and I'm like dressing it like I'm in church. <laughs> it's a moment, you guys. It's, oh my God, this book. We, I mean, as you know, we have an entire section devoted to sexiness. So we will definitely get there. We'll devote some significant time. Um, I do want to just touch on the one Loretta Chase specific trope that I didn't think worked here. She does some chapters from the villain's perspective. And I don't think those chapters worked. Yeah. They're a very insignificant part of the book. I don't. But they, are, they could have been completely eliminated. And it would have done nothing except make the book better. So it's my only complaint. Like, it's there's nothing about their relationship I'd change. There's nothing about the central conflict I'd change. These are annoying villain ch villain chapters that also take place in, like, moments where I really wanted to get back to the action. Yeah. I feel like this, this, so her villain chapters or her POV chapters that jump away from the, the main couple, she does it in practically every single book. And yeah. In many books, it does not work. It didn't work in Miss Impossible. It didn't work in um, Not Quite a Lady. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Miss Wonderful. Miss Wonderful. Um, I will say it didn't bug me in Mr. Impossible. No, I don't think I complained about it there. Yeah, I didn't complain about it there. And then in Lord Perfect, the villain is actually Lord Hargate, the father. And the chapters from his perspective are, I, I think, kind of enjoyable. Yes, but that's because it's Lord Hargate. That's because it's Lord Hargate, it's, exactly. Yeah. So most of the, it's 50-50 it's in terms, in her more recent books, I think I think it's worked better. I agree. But this is a very poor execution of it, and it's a testament to how much I love the rest of the book that my response is, oh, still five stars. Yeah. I mean, in general, the takes us into you know how was the book what's the quality chase laura chase writes really nice prose mm -hmm. i just love her writing i love reading it we've talked about it it feels very of the time but not hard mm -hmm. to read 
it's just so great. It, it, it reminds me, I'm always reminded when I read this book of um, Georgette Hare. Yes. Because I think she really makes an effort to have her prose reflect the prose of the time. And not just, not just some slang here and there that doesn't really work, you know? Yeah. No, she, okay. it, this was a, such an enjoyable read. And like we said, Olivia in particular has an incredibly distinctive voice for a romance novel heroine, and she just makes it work. Olivia is, is, she's really great. She's a big highlight of this book. This book could 100% have fallen into Manic Pixie Dream Girl territory. Because, oh, wow. Uh-huh, because Lyle is the straight-laced, you know, super serious, just want to get back to my work guy. And Olivia's the one who makes him use his imagination and do all the fun stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. Like, it doesn't, nope. does not, Elaine didn't even think, I saw it, she didn't even think about it. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, I was pondering that. I was like, you are totally right, and she never gets presented that way. Never. And if, in fact, I think if anything, it's implied that her other suitors see her that way. Mm-hmm. And it never crosses her mind or his mind that she's actually that person. Yeah. It's yeah, so good. So the main conflict in this book is the two of them seeing each other for the first time as adults, being very attracted to each other, her orchestrating them being in this situation, him just wanting to get back to Egypt. And as is stereotypically the case, she's a lot more aware of her self-aware of her feelings for him than he is about his feelings for her. Mm -hmm. But she recognizes that he wants Egypt. And she recognizes that she doesn't have it in her to be second best to anything or anyone. Mm -hmm. And that said, it is never presented stupidly. Mm -hmm. It is never made to be a source of angst. Mm -hmm. Like it is literally just, honestly, one, people who have always been friends and children to one another, grappling with the change in their feelings. And two adults trying to work out how to logistically solve a difference in where they live. Well, and I think it's not just where they live. It's, it's really that his grand passion from the age of 11, 12 has yeah. been Egypt. And like, he's very single minded, very focused guy. That's what he wants. That's all he wants. Like he's never, he's never talked about, I want to get married. I want to do anything. He's never said I've fallen in love. Right. But that's that part of it is taken care of pretty swiftly. I think like the second she realizes how deep she's in. <laughs> I mean, yes, the to me. So there were two things that I thought Chase did so well here. So the first mm -hmm. thing is that Olivia has she knows that you can fall in love and be in love very deeply, but also love again. So yes. she knows that she's in love with Lyle, but she also knows that if he doesn't love her enough to want to marry her, that she will be able to fall in love again and find someone else. Her bigger worry is that the love, the great loves her mother has experienced have still been limiting. Her mother has lived a smaller life than Olivia wants to live. Yeah. And so Olivia's bigger concern is her dream as a kid was to be a knight. Right. And that's been brought up several times in this text. And 
it's more her grappling with the fact that not only does she have to find a great love, but she has to find a great love that somehow doesn't kill her spirit. And not because the man would, but because the very institution of a society marriage could. Right. Um, but, you know, so uh, so there's one. So the fact that she understands that, like, first love doesn't mean only love. So Correct. she knows it's going to, like, rip her heart out if Lyle leaves. But she's like, that's not the end of the world. It will be really hard. No. But. And it doesn't it doesn't act as any sort of suppressant on her behavior. Right. Uh, and then the other thing that I think works so well is from Lyle's perspective, he's he's obviously attracted to her. He's like, she's really hot. You know, like we get along really well. But and, and, and Lyle like, is a boob guy. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? And but whenever he imagines marrying her, he imagines what a nightmare it would be to have her in Egypt. Yes. And so to him, he's always thinking of going back to Egypt, going back to Egypt. And God, she would just be like, I like her. She's really fun. But it, she would she would just be a burden if I took her back to my real life. Right. And that like she'd love the moments of excitement. But what do you do with a bored Olivia? Yeah. So I think. Think that she, I think Chase does a really good job of answering both of those questions. A hundred percent agree. And that's why this book works so well. And Lyle is very smart mm -hmm. and very passionate and very hardworking, especially about his excavations. Mm -hmm. He does fuck it up in dealing with. Olivia's emotions and their change in relationship. Yes. I mean, he's, look, he's the guy who, we have talked about this before about competency porn, right? Yes. Like, you ha if you're good at something in your life, it's very hot to us. It doesn't matter what you're good at. Right. Really, just as long as you're passionate about it and you're really good at it. You could be really good at office work. You could be really good at carpentry. He'd be really good at excavations like Lyle is. I mean, right. that makes him extra hot, I realize, for Lane. But I am predictable. But he he's not very emotionally intelligent. <laughs> we'll just say that. Because, like I said, he's thinking, the whole time he's thinking about going back to Egypt and about how she would be terrible and this and that. And he doesn't understand that she's going to be happy as long as she's with him. Well, he also doesn't understand that she's not an 11-year-old anymore. That too. Like, to a degree. Like, he still imposes the degree of recklessness she had then on her now. And it's to the point that as they're restoring the castle and she actually acts as Chatelaine, that he recognizes a competency in her he hadn't recognized previously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, what do you expect from a man who was basically raised by Rupert? <laughs> I loved... God, it's so good. There were so many great callbacks to the rest of the series, too. That Without it, any of it seeming, like, exposition-heavy. Yes, I was going to say, if you haven't read the other books, it's fine. You're just going to miss a little bit of extra, like, fun. Right, but there's no... I don't know. One of my problems with the last book in a series or novellas that some, like, 
get all the characters in a series back together mm-hmm. is often that it all just feels like lip service, that it's only interesting to someone who read the other books and wants to like see the happily ever after extended. Yeah. This is not that at all. Like there is active family drama at the birthday party he comes back for when he's reflecting on Rupert and Daphne. It's to think about all the things they taught him in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like none of it feels like, I don't know, the parading cast of reunion characters on a show's final episode. No. And it could have, and it did. Uh, well, and I mean, you don't even see the other characters. They're, they're very, very briefly, her parents are, are on the page. page. Very briefly, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did love, but the callbacks were more in the plot um, yes. than in the characters, which, which I think helps. Um, as a reader coming to it cold yes i agree with that so there's this super cute treasure hunt callback i mean basically that's how they met they met well that's not how they met but that's how they got to be really good friends was Mm -hmm. she ran off to hunt a treasure and she convinced him to go along with her and they get to this old castle in scotland and then there are these rumors about a treasure hunt and she's like well we should find it you know (laughs) yep which it totally works in this plot, but it's also just really nice if you've read Lord Perfect. Right. And one of the other callbacks that's super, super fun is that the grandmother, the matriarch of the Carsington clan, is sort of looming in the background as this scary figure through all the novels. Uh-huh. And her birthday party is the event that brings Lyle back to England. And when Olivia concocts her insane scheme... The grandmother decides the appropriate thing to do would be to send two of her widow besties, who are just grossly inappropriate old biddies, along as their chaperones. It's pretty funny. Well, and then there's the final callback that I can think of that I just loved was it talks about how Lyle's not just good at organizing, excavating, stuff like that. He's also good at fighting. So, but he's good in the Rupert Carsington style of fighting, which is pick the guy up and throw him in the wall which he does which he does oh so great slow clap for amazing everything uh and then i i think one of the final things that i just loved about this book was it, this could have been super angsty like really super angsty he's afraid to take her back to egypt because she's gonna ruin everything and she's you know, really sad because he won't admit that he loves her and blah, blah, blah. But his parents are going to cut him off and he's going to be destitute. But when they finally do, I mean, she's always been very clear that she loves him. And she's actually told him a couple of times and he just doesn't take it in. He doesn't take it as romantic love. Right. And then when he finally understands and he's like, wait, I'm in love too. He just tells her. And then it's just, it's just very very nice and low angst and I loved it this whole book is low angst the whole thing in fact I would argue this whole book is basically no angst I loved it it was so perfect okay did anything about this book offend you well I will say I don't think there are any content warnings there's no violence well uh, there's some like slight very slight violence um but not not scary or anything like that there's no sexual violence at all um, so honestly, I, I can't think of anything that you might need a trigger warning for. 
But the number of foot scenes did bother me a little. He gives her, like, two foot massages. And I was like, oh, that's even touching. I remember, because yeah. I'm, like, totally into it. And then I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is going to bother Lane. I guess it did. The only negative is the foot touching. But anyway. I will say that, I will say that the old ladies who are, as Lane said, extremely inappropriate. I suppose that if you really wanted to nitpick, you could say, oh, well, reverse the genders and it would have been really offensive. Like, for example, they hire a new butler and they immediately remark upon his butt, you know? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, look, I I thought it was hilarious. I could go on a whole rant about how women objectifying men does not have the same problems yeah. as men objectifying women because it doesn't have the perceived or actual power imbalance behind it. Well, but, exactly. That's, that's well, I guess, what I was sure. going to say, too. Like, they're Someone 80-year-old gets, women, you know. Anyway. Who have had their fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, if that's what we're scrounging up to even reference in this section, this is a pretty inoffensive book. And, like, usually even when an Egyptologist or an archaeologist of any kind is involved, I have to give my usual disclaimer about, like, representation of, uh, like, colonies. Yeah. You're not even in Egypt. Like, that doesn't even come up in this one. There's no they, need. To, you get the archaeologist without any of the problems. Well, you get, a, you get a very slight mention of it. Someone talks about, you know, the natives doing something or other. And, you know, they're, they're lazy or something like that. And Lyle is like, well, uh, I would be too if the, all these people just came into my land and were like, I'm going to steal your stuff. Right. But so there's, there's a very brief thought. But there's no, like, representation of no. colonial archaeology as a positive. Correct. Or uncomplicated. So it was, like, overall, I don't even have the usual disclaimers. Yeah. And then to cap it all off, guys, this is absolutely the sexiest of all five of the books in my opinion um i second that opinion okay good um yeah this is incredibly sexy so first of all the sexual tension is palpable from the second he sees her across the ballroom in chapter one from the second absolute millisecond yep and so they are just really struggling with the new, because she might have known she loved him, but even she wasn't aware he'd gotten, like, manly. Right. So they're both, like, really struggling from the beginning. And they fail at every turn to keep their hands off of one another. And it just keeps escalating and escalating to the point that they're like, two, dude, you almost took my virginity. You have to cool off. I'm not going to stop you. So if this matters to you, you better stop yourself. And he's like, that's not cool, putting it all on my shoulders. Like, come on. (laughs) And that doesn't even get to, and then there's the, has to warm up in front of a fire and they have sex. And then there's the desk sex. And then there's the rooftop sex. This is just really great because, and we talked about this in a recent episode, the way that their physical encounters with one another escalate are very much a representation of where they are between each other emotionally. And sometimes they're a better representation of the things they're saying. Yes. Yep. We, yes, we just talked, we just talked about this in our last episode. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember what order we release things. in. <laughs> no, I know, but we, we just, we just like literally just talked. Well, we, I, it wasn't a rant, but I went on like a very long talk about the difference between erotica and erotic romance. <laughs> 
one-handed reads, which is being tattooed on my body. <laughs> I mean, this isn't a one-handed read, but it's pretty hot, though. Yeah, I have absolutely no complaints about their relationship at all, and that extends to the sex. Explicitly consensual. Mm-hmm. Both parties are initiating at various points. Even when things stop, there is explicit communication mm-hmm. about why and what they want. They are open and honest with their feelings, even when they don't necessarily understand how to resolve the conflict between them. Yep. And it's really, really, really hot. It is really hot. There, I, oh, my gosh. I just remembered a trope that you forgot to mention. It's one of your favorite ones, which is the servants who, like, they don't actually hook up in this book. It's unrequited, which I love. So his government is super yes. into her lady's maid, but the lady's maid is like, <laughs> like shuts him down at every turn. I, that's why I didn't mention it, because I didn't actually get the impression the lady's maid was interested. No, but the, 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 this is more of the competency part. Like both of the, the lady's maid and the valet are so good at taking care of everything. Yes. Like that's, I just wanted to mention, love, love, love the scene after they hook up for the first time. That's what reminded me of it. Cause I was like, Oh wait. And the two of them are scheming like, okay, how do we make sure no one knows we just had sex and they come up with this elaborate scheme. And then the servants like go into executing it and then questioning it. And they're like, wait, they're both idiots. This is what we actually do. And then, this is my favorite part, it never comes up again. Nope. They, they like, took care of it and it was che- done. It's not some Chekhov's gun waiting to go off that ruins the whole scheme. And then this is moving beyond sexiness, but I just have to put it out there. The ending and the actual resolution is so funny oh, and no. so perfect. It's and, so like, it's not out of left field, but, like, it was a little bit unexpected to me how completely perfect it was. And I literally want to reread this book right now. This this book is really great, guys. It's, it's a really good series closer, too. Like, if you have to end, it's a really good book to end on. And especially with a book where you first meet the protagonists in an in a earlier book where they are children, it can be very difficult to pull it off. Very. I would also like to say that one of the things I love the most about this book, I love everything. I, this is like the sixth thing I said that I love the most. None of the previous couples have had children that are named. That's true. Like and you know, some of them did pair off and have kids, but it's just, it doesn't matter. Like she's not trying to set up a next generation. You know, for sure. Some of them didn't have kids. Like this is for all that. These are very much novels about family. These are not novels about progeny, and I love it so much. It's it's so ridiculous, but I love so much that Daphne and Rupert didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love it. I love it. Oh, it was perfect. Everything is perfect, and this book made me, it made me so happy. It, me too. It, this book is really good, guys. So five stars out of five stars. I mean, read the whole series. But this book is really great. They never go to Egypt, and it's still a five out of five for me. <laughs> they talk about Egypt only peripherally, and Lane still rates it five out of five. Just saying. 
So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, please check us out on Instagram. We're at Plotris uh, and at Goodreads too. Uh, we're also Plotris there. Thank you so much for listening.